Renoites listeners, and welcome to the 420 edition of Renoites. This episode comes out on April 20th, so I figured, why not make the episode all about marijuana? Today's guest is Haley Hoff from BlackbirdGo.com, the weed delivery and technology service. We had a great conversation, largely about cannabis. If you smoke weed, or if you don't, I recommend listening to the episode. I tried to make it accessible for everybody. We don't just nerd out about weed. We also talk about the cannabis industry now that it is legal, what is happening in weed culture, and of course, we talk about Haley's brand, Hoff Goods. So please check out the episode. I'm excited for you to listen to it. Before we get to the interview, though, quick reminder, as always, I really appreciate your feedback. If you would like to let me know what you think about this episode or any other, shoot me an email. My email address is Connor, C-O-N-O-R, at renoites.com, or find me on social media. Renoites is on Facebook and Instagram. Give me a follow there. I would love to engage with you on social media. Let me know what you think of the show. And now, this week's guest, Haley Hoff. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Haley, for, <laughs> for coming on the show. To start, let's let's just introduce you. I, I don't know that much about you. I've only met you once briefly. I bought some stickers from you when you were selling stickers at a table at an event somewhere. But I've been your Instagram friend for a really long time. So I feel like I've followed the Haley Hoff life a I'm little curious. bit. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about social media and stuff, too, because I think it's weird to have a yeah. you know an online persona and you have a brand that is yeah. obviously tied it's your name it's Hoff goods so it's yeah. tied into your you know who you are as a person and your personality which i think is interesting and challenging and i'm looking forward to asking mm-hmm. you about it so just just to start tell us a little bit about uh, uh who you are and what you do yeah wow um first of all just thank you for following me and you know, being a part of the community for a while. I appreciate it. I recognize you from buying stickers. So it's fun to talk to you again. I am, let's see, a Reno person born and raised here. I have a pretty artistic, creative background in many different facets. So I started from a young kid, dancing was my whole life. My mom is a dance teacher, a professional dancer in her career. So I grew up dancing. My dad's a photographer and just kind of an all around artistic guy in a very unique way. And so I think I grew up in a very creative community in this town and am still very grateful to be connected to a lot of my parents' connections who are artists and kind of the like wild, wild folks of the generation above me, the boomers. So I kind of grew up in, you know, a unique community in this in this area. I didn't really have the super traditional suburban childhood. And I think that's really led to me being passionate about being in this city and making sure that what I'm doing for work and for money is creative because that's just kind of all I know. Um, and then, yeah, in the last couple of years, a few different things have changed. I've I started my own company and... Oh, I mean, there's a lot to talk about that, but yeah, I started my own company. I, I still try and exercise a couple different muscles at once. I don't want to just be doing graphic design all the time, even though that is the majority of what I do. I still like to do photography, a little bit of dance, and then I got really into weed. <laughs> and so now I work full time for Blackbird, which is in the weed industry. And, you know, that's my main gig now. I I have a hard time talking about what is my main gig because Hoff Goods to me is 
always also my main gig. So, you know, two full-time jobs and yeah, that's kind of the like brushed over version of who I am and what I do at this point in my life at age 31. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, so this episode is going to air on 420. So it's mostly going to be weed focused, but I do want to ask you about Blackbird and kind of the the logistics of, of what that company does and, and how it works. Yeah. And then also I want to talk to you about Hoff Goods, but let's, let's start with the weed stuff. So you said you've been kind of moving more towards being interested in weed. You work for a weed company now. So I'm always curious about people's changing views of weed over time. My story, basically, like I didn't smoke that much weed when I was younger, when I was in college. I drank like most college kids did. And then I think it was probably like maybe in my mid to late 20s, I just felt like crap all the time. I was like, what is wrong with me? Am I getting old? And like, am I just falling apart? I just feel like miserable every morning. And it's because I was drinking not a lot, but a little bit every day. Like I was drinking, yeah. living that, you know, frozen pizza and box wine life for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, I feel like crap all the time. Why do I always feel so bad? And I realized I just like didn't take to alcohol that well. It doesn't agree with my body that much. I don't like to get really drunk. So I started smoking weed kind of as a substitute being like, okay, well, here's another thing that I can do to relax at the end of the day. Yeah. It is more socially acceptable. I had like friends who smoked weed. And it was a, I think a much better product for me. If, if we're just looking at it from a kind of like utilitarian standpoint is if I'm going to do a thing that is a substance that makes me feel better, what, what's the right one. And it definitely wasn't alcohol. What was your kind of experience with weed and kind of using it and, and learning to appreciate it? What's your, what's your weed story? Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like it's a little bit nuanced because the way I got into the weed industry was not my passion for weed necessarily. It was more so that I was attracted to working at Blackbird because in this town, Blackbird represented to me the, it was kind of the only option I saw for a company that I was willing to work for based off of values, based off of creative work that they were doing obviously the fact that they were in the weed industry was a huge, it was very compelling to me. Like I wanted to get into the space, but it wasn't because I was like so passionate about smoking weed myself that I went there. So that's kind of like how I got into the industry, but I have been an on and off weed smoker since, I don't know, you know, same as most people. I started trying it in high school, but never really was like a stoner, if you will. But similar to you in the last couple of years, like I've been exploring other options for the end of the day, like relief, if you want to call it that relaxation. And I've just realized that same as you, it makes me feel better in my body and honestly, in my mind as well. I can recover from it. I don't overdo it with weed. And if I do, like the worst thing that happens is I just spend the night laughing my ass off. And like, that's a much better way. (laughs) to have an overdoing it experience than you do with alcohol. And like, yeah, I just feel like I've learned so much from working in the weed industry now that I've become so passionate about it. Those last two years working at Blackbird, I've really learned so much about the history of the plant, the deep and fascinating culture of what the plant has done for this just for like humanity at large, but the culture around it's fascinating. And it's really attractive to me that, that weed, the plant is associated with a lot of the things you already spoke about earlier, like wellness. Um, It 
it gets you in touch with your mind and your spirit. And, you know, Mm -hmm. those are all things that I was trying to start doing on my own anyway. So like, you know, I think going from my twenties to my thirties has been this pivotal moment for me of trying to weed out what feels bad and pull in what feels good and having a little bit more intention with everything I'm doing. And when I smoke weed, I feel very connected to myself. Like I'm very deeply attached to maybe I should say I'm just very present and I don't know. I think that I've really just valued that experience as I got older. Um, There was a while in my twenties where smoking weed was a little scary for me because I hadn't done it. I wasn't doing it that often. And so every, every time I did, I got very anxious and it was like pulling a lot of my neuroses to the forefront, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is, this is before I realized I've struggled with anxiety and depression and these things. And so when I would smoke weed, it would kind of bring that to the surface and it scared me too much to like keep doing it. But what I learned, what I think is magical about the plant is it kind of forces you to deal with the things that you have trapped inside. So like, unlike alcohol, which does bring, I mean, in the same way, it brings some stuff up, some of your worst behaviors, some of your best behaviors, whatever, but you're kind of out of control when you're really drunk. When you're really high or even just lightly high and you feel anxiety and stuff coming on, it's like you start exploring it more, like you're forced to sit with it. And I think that I was pretty scared of that. And now I'm embracing that. And I feel like it's become a a mental health practice for me. And so like my journey with weed has been interesting because it's like, I've always liked it. I've always been attracted to smoking weed over drinking alcohol, but there was a a hard road for me to figure out how to get there. And it wasn't until I had a lot of people around me that were super pro weed that were very, very smart and educated and talking about it and teaching me about why your body reacts the way it does. And then once you get over that and you start practicing, it sounds silly, practicing smoking weed, but once you start getting into a, a daily practice, I should say, that all changes. And now I, now I use weed to actually help my anxiety. It actually reduces my anxiety. I'm no longer on medication. It helps me fall asleep on the nights that I'm too anxious to fall asleep. All these things that I thought that it would cause, it's now actually quelling. So it's interesting. Like I've, I've become a real believer in the medicinal practice of it, the spiritual practice of it. And also just culturally, like weed culture is cool. Like it's just, (laughs) you know, I just, I'm fascinated and attracted to all of it. So. Yeah. I think the weed culture thing is interesting because as it's become legal and there's now dispensaries and there's more conversation around it and you have a podcast that's all about weed. It has this cultural element that is new and is still kind of being developed. We're still figuring out like what it means to like be into weed and talk about weed. And for a lot of people who don't really smoke weed or aren't engaged in the community with it or don't know that much about it, I think that can maybe even be a little intimidating. If you go into a dispensary nowadays, there's terpenes and there's science and there's strains and it might be kind of challenging. I'm hopeful for this podcast that people who listen to it who don't smoke weed can still kind of get it. And I understand for a lot of people, it probably is a little intimidating. We're like, you know, I know what weed is and I know what it does, but I am not part of that culture. And I feel like kind of an outsider. Where do you think weed culture is going as far as, is it accessible to people? Is it too insular? Is it, you know, how does it fit into like mainstream culture? Do you think? Great question. I think, What's interesting, I just want to back up for a second from something you said at the beginning is 
I do think that the current weed culture, the, the now legalized, more um, palatable conversation around weed is new. But I think weed has been a staple of pop culture and like hip hop culture and rap culture, all these things for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. And even before that, it's been around in like our ancestral culture in a more, you know, plant medicine type of way. And we have to talk about those things too when we think about what weed culture is now. Like weed has been around as long as we've been around. And it's it's fascinating. It has a really, really interesting history when you start studying it and seeing how people have treated it differently over the over the years. And I think in our generation, we are now coming out of this prohibition mindset around cannabis. The new culture that we are experiencing is the forefront of bringing it to the mainstream in a way that's, we're trying to break the stigma. But that stigma wasn't always there. That stigma's only been around for the last, I'm trying to think what the year was, 1951? You know, like all of this craziness about weed being bad, about cannabis being associated with negative things has only been around for not, it's not, not even that long. And so we're in this interesting moment where the legalization is bringing it to a lot of people's tables that weren't willing to talk about it or think about it before. And what I think is interesting is like, most people don't know that. Like I didn't know that when I first got into weed, I didn't realize how recent all this prohibition bullshit was. Sorry. Am I allowed to swear? Yeah, absolutely. That's fine. Um, I'll, I'll put the little explicit warning on on episodes with swear words, and and this was all about okay. weed, so it's probably going to get that explicit warning. Anyways. <laughs> okay. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, so I think what's happening right now is it's like the whitewashing kind of of weed. It's and that's what that whole wellness thing is, and it's hard to talk about it because the wellness part of the plant is incredibly real, and positive, and that's what is attracting a lot of people to it right now, but it's still so much more than that. And it's like, what I think we need to do as a culture of people that smoke weed is do what we're doing right now. Talk about it so that it brings it out of the shadows because almost everybody has had some sort of experience with weed, at least in our generation. I feel like we all kind of smoked weed at some point or like had friends that grew it or like we all are one step away from weed. And most people have been scared to talk about it for a very long time. And I think it will be more inclusive and altogether just more common when people just start talking about it more. Like we're still in that stigma phase, but the legalization has brought it forward. And we do have the wellness aspect to thank for that because people are like, oh, CBD like doesn't get you high and it makes you feel better. And those are all benefits that have been around forever. But politicians back in the 50s and 60s made sure to take that narrative out of the association with the plant and they just criminalized it and made it really, really dark and scary. And so now it's like people are learning these facts that have always been available to us had we just like had more information. And now it's becoming less scary. And I think that's incredible and we need to keep doing that. But we also need to remember that there is a really rich history with the plant that starts with Native American people in our country, but also like all over the world, it's the Native people that have been using the plant for herbs and healing since the beginning of time. And like, I want more people to be talking about that stuff. And I want more people to talk about how many people are still in prison. People of color are still in prison for Mm -hmm. weed. 
And so it's a really complicated conversation, but I think that talking about it with everybody you know is step one. <laughs> and it's intimidating because the stigma still exists. And I think about it a lot. Like if I wasn't working professionally in the cannabis industry, I would still be scared to be having this conversation with you right now. Like if I, if you were to call me and say, let's do a podcast about weed, I'd be like, oh shit. Like, I don't know if I can do that. I might, that might taint my image for my job, mm-hmm. but I'm very, very grateful to have been working in the industry because it's made me proud of it. And it's made me have to kind of like come out about my weed use and be, <laughs> be a person that's like, yes, I smoke weed and no, it's not bad. And look at me, I'm still doing my job and I'm good at my job. And having those conversations with my parents and my family at large, it's intimidating for sure. But now all of my family members are like very open to weed and they weren't two years ago. And so like watching that change in just my small circle is really, really inspiring. And I think 10 years from now, it's going to be totally different than where we are now, but it's just going to require a lot of us to just kind of be open about it. Yeah, I think that having come through the wellness focus around medical marijuana, I think has helped elevate weed as something that's a little more, like you said, health focused. I like the idea of, you know, you do hiking and outdoors activities, and it's a a drug that you can use that's for thoughtfulness and introspection. Mm -hmm. And I think that comes from framing it from the wellness perspective. That's helpful to it. I think that if we had weed as something the way we consume alcohol. Like if you just think of the difference between the experience of walking into a corner liquor store and walking Mm -hmm. into a dispensary, it's night and day about the respectability of it. I think weed has established itself as a healthier, a more modern, a better alternative to other Mm -hmm. substances. And I think that kind of comes through coming through that, that wellness phase. Yeah. And, and hopefully that continues. The thing I wonder about is as capitalism and commercialization and all of that of cannabis continues, what do you think it's going to look like? Are we going to continue on this more cultured, you know, we talked about weed culture because there are people who know everything about it. And there's like people who are nerds about the different mm-hmm. strains and there's these very fancy dispensaries. Do you think that there's yeah. a risk of weed becoming too commoditized and it being kind of relegated back to just just a drug or just a substance and and losing some of that credibility that it's earned over the recent years i just want Hmm. i just wonder what like the the future holds when if weed is legalized nationwide and all of a sudden you have like marlboro trying to like jump in the weed game or whatever like what what is that going to look like not just for not just for the product itself but for the for the culture yeah that's interesting I think it's already happening. And I think that unfortunately, a lot of people are just getting into the weed industry because they see it as a money-making opportunity. You know, that's going to happen whenever there's a new market and a new product that's hot. And, you know, like Pabst recently came out with CBD waters and, you know, they're now talking about their THC waters that are being produced. And it's like, okay, we're, we have to buckle up. This is going to happen. And it's going to be interesting. I think it will wash it out quite a bit. Like I think the culture that we see right now will change and hopefully in some ways for the better, because I do think that the culture that we have right now is, I don't know, it's kind of teetering to me on this line of not elitist, but um, 
it's not super approachable for everybody. And, and going into the dispensary, though some people like you and I, like think of it probably as like an enjoyable, fancy, like depending on which dispensary you go to, obviously, but it's like a nice experience and it feels very kind of like, it feels like an experience. But to some people it's very intimidating. And I hope that we can get it to a place, you know, like I love the idea of the Amsterdam like cafes where people are just smoking weed and drinking coffee there are things like that already happening in California. They have these weed cafes. That's the future I see is like bringing it out of the dispensaries a little bit. I love how the dispensary right now is very organized and the people there are very professional and like very, very helpful, but it is still kind of like, okay, you've got walk in, you sit in this waiting room, there's no windows. It still feels kind of clinical. And though the people don't necessarily feel clinical, I personally feel like the experience is still kind of, yeah, it's just a little bit different than most retail experiences. And I think in the next five, 10 years, the retail experience of a weed shop is going to be very similar to that of anything else. And hopefully you can sit down in the weed shop and smoke what you just bought and hang out with your friends there. And like, it doesn't need to be this like, closed door everything comes in five pounds of plastic and you can't walk out until somebody else walks in like all of these kind of rules which they've had to do because the regulations are so insane but i think the regulations especially if we get federally legalized will hopefully chill out a bit and similarly to like buying a bottle of wine you just buy it you bring it home and like it's a normal thing but I think the culture will, it'll be really interesting. I don't really know how to predict what's going to happen because like I said, there's already people joining the industry that are making big waves. And, you know, Seth Rogen recently came out with his brand and there's a lot of celebrities like Jay-Z, a lot of rappers have their own weed brands now, and they're all kind of exploring different new opportunities. It's, it's really interesting. Jay-Z just started a brand that's um, luxury. And so, you know, $60 pre-rolls and these fancy items and the way they've been marketing it with this massive budget, they have billboards down in Times Square. And like, it's really fascinating because that was unheard of a year ago. Seeing what that's going to do is going to be, I don't know yet. Like, I'm just watching it happen and watching these things unfold. And I'm like, okay, cool. At first I'm like, this is really cool. And then I'm like, wait, shoot, if Jay-Z and Seth Rogen are selling these high dollar price items, like that's going to push the market price for everything else up. And now all of a sudden weed's not going to be accessible and weed of all things should be accessible because of the culture and the the prohibition era behind it. The fact that there's still 40,000 people in jail right now for weed and Jay-Z is able to sell a $60 pre-roll, there's a problem there. And so like, I'm hoping that we can just keep it in the middle to some extent where it's accessible and approachable for everybody and still allow these people that want to make statement brands, let them do it, but let's just not let that raise the bar for everything. Like I, that's what's kind of intense and you know, it's, it's expensive already. And so how do we get the regulations down, keep the prices low and still let it be like a profitable market for I don't, I'm not a big fan of capitalism. So let me just put that out there. <laughs> I don't know how to talk money. I don't, I'm not a business person, but you know, I know that having a successful market is good for the country and it's going to help get those people out of jail and like whatever, whatever we can do to get the people out of jail and keep people medicated and having fun with, with cannabis is like what I hope for. Yeah. I think that the political side of, getting people out of jail and making sure that legalization means 
looking back at the damages of prohibition and righting those wrongs. That's a huge part of the picture. Again, I I can't predict mm-hmm. the future, but if many of the regulations kind of drop off over time, weed becomes more mainstream, we get federal legalization. I could see it being similar to other products like coffee or wine or alcohol, where there is this mass market appeal that the prices are relatively low, that it is accessible, but there's also these kind of more cultural, more higher end experiences for people mm-hmm. who are really into it. So that there's there's an right. option for everybody, basically, and there's a price range for everybody. But there right. are these stumbling blocks of still the the stigma around around cannabis that that's not going away immediately. It's it's I feel like it's pretty quick compared to even just, you know, a few years ago, there were not that many states that had legal recreational marijuana. And it feels like there's another state passing legal recreational weed every day. So we're seeing really, I think, quick changes yeah. in in the stigma and the acceptability. But like you said, unless we actually go back and right those wrongs and get these people out of jail, there's damage that's already been done that just opening the market up and 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 selling it and, and letting people make millions of dollars, that doesn't actually help the damage that we've done yeah. already. So but that's another, you know, it's a different yeah. piece of the puzzle. I, I don't know if those two are so directly related, but I would like to think that if there is a thriving, profitable, uh, socially acceptable market for marijuana, that makes it much harder for them to make the argument of these people need to stay in jail. It's easier to make that argument now because weed is still kind of coming out of the shadows. But in a couple of years or a few years, whatever, if weed really is thoroughly mainstreamed, I just don't know how anyone could argue for not going back to correct those wrongs from when it wasn't. Right. Totally. I think it's already hard to understand. For me, it's hard to wrap my head around. I understand, though, that like so much of the world, of our, of our country, doesn't see see it the same way I do. And it's because I've spent the last two years deep diving into this stuff. But like, I feel like the second one state legalized it, everyone should have been let out of jail. I know it's more complicated than that, but that's just like my, my desire is like, as soon as, oh, it's just sad because so many of these people that are in jail have nothing but like a possession offense of like having a bag of weed in their pocket while they were driving. And I have a, I have a bag of weed in my pocket almost all the time now. (laughs) And I'm out here getting paid good money, but you know, to, to have weed and to talk about weed. And it's just, it's hard being somebody that's in the industry and like not feel the kind of the weight of that. Um, I feel very grateful, but I also just feel like it's a really interesting moment for for cannabis industry folks and like, how do we right the wrongs even in our own company's ethos and what, how we're giving back. And that's something that Blackbird really tries to do is create opportunities for people that have come out of jail for any sort of cannabis related offense to get back into the to the industry or to, you know, there's a lot of really incredible organizations out there that are doing good work and getting people out of jail. And we donate a lot of money to them just to try and help, but it still feels so hard. The politics around it are hard. And it's, especially like me, one person, I don't always know what I can do, but I'm passionate about it. And, you know, that's why I like working in weed also, is it's not just about the plant. It's not just about the products. It's about the culture and the history and like righting the wrongs of our government. And that's like something that I'm really passionate about period and being able to do that with 
a company of people that are interested in it. It's, it's a cool, it's a cool space and it's a cool time to be in it. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about Blackbird. So you've, what do you do for Blackbird? Tell me what Blackbird is. Uh, I know that they're in the, it's the weed delivery industry, right? How does it, how does it all work? Blackbird is, is an online marketplace. We are similar to a DoorDash, if you can imagine that. So we host a lot of retailers products on our menus online and you can shop and we deliver it in the state of Nevada. We deliver, but our menus are available in almost every legal state across the country. So basically we're a tech company because we created the website. We created the menus. We offer marketing services for other companies. And that's what I do. I'm on the marketing team at Blackbird. I'm the, the designer and yeah, we, for marketing, we basically are just trying to, get Blackbird in front of as many eyeballs as possible, let people know they can order weed online, have it delivered to their house and, you know, sell a lot of tech. (laughs) Oh no, honestly, Blackbird's company, like what we do as a company, there's a lot. It's really, it's a really big company structure for me to try and boil down. But the, the gist of it is that we sell technology and marketing tools to retailers and brands to help get their product in front of other people's eyes. But in Reno, most people know us as the delivery company because we are, that's first and foremost what people recognize us here for, but we, we are much bigger than that. Gotcha. So, um, so that's probably helpful for the dispensaries that don't have delivery services themselves, right? Yeah. And the reason why most don't is because the regulations are really cheap they're tricky and you know to have the licenses that you need to be able to deliver cannabis in each state are very unique and blackbird was the first in the state of nevada to do it and so in order it's easier for retailers to come to us and like we be the third party delivery system like a doordash or a postmates versus them have to go through the licensing to do it themselves so we kind of for a while we were the only delivery service in Nevada. Now a couple of people have created other ones, but yeah. What are some of the challenges with marketing weed? Even though it's legal, <laughs> I know your Instagram just got shut down. Obviously you're yeah. in, in the marketing side of this business in cannabis and it is legal, but you still have all kinds of challenges that other businesses don't have to struggle with in their marketing, right? So what are what are some of those? Yeah, it's an incredibly regulated market. And that was something I didn't have any experience in before. I've been in marketing and social media and content creation for a very long time now. And it's a totally different game. You have to jump through a lot of hoops and everything kind of needs to be hush-hush about you're not allowed, at least on most social media platforms, you're not allowed to use the terms of of cannabis-related words. So like you said, our Instagram has been deleted many times now. This last time was what, last Friday? I woke up to the Instagram being deleted again, and this time was the eighth account we'd had. And they don't tell you why. You just get taken down. And also, it's a weird, unique experience that Blackbird has. Like I feel, I feel like we've got a target on our back, and we just keep getting taken down. But yeah, you're not allowed to show photos of weed show photos of people consuming it. 
each social media platform has their own community guidelines and they're all very vague, like very, very vague. So you really just kind of have to be careful and see what works and what doesn't. And it's different for each platform. And honestly, it seems like it's kind of different for each account. So, (laughs) you know, I don't know why we keep getting deleted, but we do. And so that's really hard because we are a consumer facing company where we are trying to we're trying to find consumers and they are on Instagram, they are on Facebook, they are on Twitter. And when we are not allowed to be on those platforms, it's really challenging to figure out how do we find those people, which is why we started a podcast is like, let's see if we can talk to people and let's see how long we can do that before they shut us down there. And so far we've been lucky that we haven't been shut down, but it's hard to also get your podcast out to people when you can't post it on the internet, like you can't share it anywhere. So it's so many hoops to jump through and that's just the social media like side of it. You know, we did a billboard last year and it had to be completely unrelated to weed as well. And so it's hard to sell a weed company (laughs) when we're not allowed to talk about what we do. And, you know, so it's been a very interesting challenge and I'm envious of some of the people that have, some power. I don't know. Like, I think it's capitalistic power that some companies are able to do what they do online, pay Instagram for the blue check, for example. I know that's a thing thing that some large companies have done to just stay online. You know, that's ridiculous. Like we're we're not going to do that. And so, yeah, we have to do a lot of kind of like guerrilla marketing, like hands on the ground, street on the ground, feet on the ground, whatever the hell it's (laughs) called. Feet on the street. Yeah, a lot of word of mouth and like, you know, it's it's been crazy. I wish I could tell you exactly what we do, but there isn't, it's changing each week. Each week we show up and we're like, okay, like another thing was deleted. What did we learn from that? What do we think got us taken down? What else can we look into? And right now we're leaning into like email marketing because emails are not shutting us down. So it's different. You talk to every other consumer marketing professional right now, and they're like all about Instagram, TikTok, all these things that we're not able to participate with. And so, yeah, the the podcast has been an experiment for that. And it's nice to hear that you've heard it and that you know of it, because I'm never sure if anyone's seeing it. (laughs) I think that's one of the challenges with, with podcasts in general is just not having the metrics for knowing how people are finding mm-hmm. it, how many people are listening. You get like basic numbers on downloads. So this is a new podcast yeah. and I'm kind of learning the the ropes of how all the, the analytics and stuff work and they're just not there. So you don't really know how much reach you have, but you're on all the major platforms and I, f- I found it pretty easily. So that's a good thing. And then I appreciate that there's a lot of, it's a lot of history and a lot of information. It's not just the, Hey, we love weed. Let's chat about weed podcast. Every episode Mm. seems to have a pretty strong theme and some research and, and I learned a lot from it. So what's, so what's the experience been like so far? Tell me about how the podcast works about you and Jamal and we'd like to talk. Yeah. Yeah. So we'd like to talk was, um, an idea that I had because I was so beyond frustrated with Instagram and I've always wanted to do a podcast. And so I was like, let's do it. Jamel and I are the two people that make up the marketing team and we have very similar energy and passion for weed as well as the passion for Reno and we both like to talk. So so we just kind of started taking our conversations that we often have behind the scenes and putting them with some structure into a podcast format. But honestly, it's pretty unstructured. I'm really thrilled to hear that 
you're saying you're learning something from us. Um, we want to make it more of a conversation that's not just, you know, there's a lot of like stoner podcasts out there that are like, let's get high and, you know, review a song or something. And yet part of me wants to do that because I think it would be really fun. But the other part of me is like, how do we tell a larger story that like we were speaking of earlier, helps break the stigma. If whether you're somebody that's brand new to weed or somebody that's been interested in weed for a long time, how can we speak to both of those audiences with conversations that are both educational, fun, and will hopefully interest people to want to buy weed on blackbirdgo.com. <laughs> you know, like how do we have those conversations? And, you know, I'm also thinking of, I know I have a lot of people that want to support me that don't give a shit about weed my parents, my family at large, a lot of my Hoff Goods following. I'm like, how do we start trickling into those people that don't maybe, wouldn't normally listen to a weed-related podcast? How do we make it interesting to them? And that's where I'm really focused on because, like we said earlier, I am really focused on trying to break that stigma down all the time. And I think a podcast is a really fun place to do that because if we just talk heavily about weed and like the nuances of the industry the whole time, that's, that's a pretty small circle that we're like making our podcast for. And we do want to speak to those people because I think there aren't many podcasts out there yet that are very weed industry focused that are fun and engaging to listen to. So we're trying to bridge that gap. And sometimes I feel like we nail it. And other times we're just definitely getting started and figuring out you know, what's interesting to people and we're trying to get as much feedback as possible. So yeah, any feedback you have or anyone that's out there that's listened, we'd love to hear it. <laughs> yeah. That's my, my constant refrain is like, please give me feedback. If you ever listen to yeah. any episodes, if you have any thoughts on guests or topics or whatever, just please let, let podcast hosts know what you want to hear. Because I think for a lot of people yeah. that are trying to create a a podcast or a product that reaches a wide range of people that you can't just do that based on your own kind of instinct or, or, Oh, I think people might like this because you're really just inputting your own experience and the things that you want to hear. So yeah, attention listeners, please let any podcast you listen to know what you want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fun because I think Jamal, he brings a lot of industry knowledge. He's been in it for a long time. He's super passionate about it and really, really passionate about the social equity pieces, right? The politics. He's worked in the politi- the political side of cannabis for the last couple of years. And so he has a lot to say. And I often feel like I play the role on that podcast of the person who's very new to weed. And I think that dynamic works for us to have interesting conversations because I'm a lot of the time asking the questions from a very genuine place of not knowing. And he has a lot of information. And sometimes I have to try and tell him to like, okay, you're talking too, too deep. I think for people, we have a balance that I think is hopefully starting to work itself out. But you know, sometimes we just also have like a lot of fun and we're both gay and we both like to like be very gay together. And some podcast episodes show that and others don't, but (laughs) Yeah, the, the approach was a big gay look on the world of weed. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. We're we're only going to get gayer as time goes on. Right. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a lot of fun. And I think that your your kind of like personal dynamics and, and friendship shows through on the show and makes it a lot of fun to listen to. That's one of the challenges Thank with you. being like a solo podcast host, I'm realizing is if yeah. you don't have someone to to bounce off of, 
then it's totally. it's hard to you know i don't do any kind of solo segments on my show it's always just me and a mm -hmm. guest but i feel like if you have a co-host it probably helps create a more yeah. kind of conversational dynamic absolutely and i think it's also fun for me and jamel to just have something that the two of us can I think it helps our friendship as well as our relationship to go forward in our other projects. Cause it's just he and I all the time. Like it's just the two of us working our butts off and it's fun to have an outlet where we both get an hour and a half a week to smoke some weed together and like talk about what we know and what we don't know. And then I think it resets us and it feel it also re-excites us of like, Oh gosh, like we have something new to think about, something new to learn for next week's episode. And, you know, I really personally enjoy that. It gives me some, something to look forward to and something to really, I mean, I'm, I'm also just like a performer type. I like to have a conversation. I mean, you said you've followed my Instagram for a while. You probably know, like, I really just like to talk to people. I like to talk on camera. I think my young dance persona still needs that attention some way and a, a podcast is a fun way to explore that too <laughs> for totally. total transparency <laughs> totally no I, well i'm this i'm the same way is i value extensive conversation with people so much it's something that i think is where i've learned the vast majority of the things i know about people and how they mm -hmm. work and i can learn data from from reading things on the internet or whatever but yeah you really don't learn how to relate to people or communicate with people or what people in society are really about unless you have conversations with people. And that's why I love the podcast format in general is it's, it is an excuse to on a regular basis, yeah. sit down with someone and have a substantive conversation. And I think in today's world that doesn't happen as much as it probably should. Yeah. And being able to do that with a friend, I think is probably super awesome. Yeah. And like I said earlier, Jamel is a, a source, a resource for me. He is the reason why I've learned so much in the last couple of years about the cannabis industry and about the plant in general. And so I also realized that I was like, let's get you on a mic because you have so much information in that brain of yours. Like, let's share it. I don't mind playing the dumb person that has to like ask and probe because I know that I've learned so much from you and like, let's let the world learn. And, mm -hmm. you know, I just try and pepper in some jokes or laughs here and there. That, that's my, my forte. <laughs> that's good to perfect. You bring the, bring the comedy. I love it. Yeah. I try, you know, sometimes I get a little too stoned and then we're just sitting there and I'm my, you know, my mind is like, Whoa, what did he just say? Like, I'm just focusing on trying to keep up. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, that's always been one of my challenges with weed socially is the effect that it has on me is definitely not improving my conversational abilities or <laughs> my tendency to be able to follow the thread of a conversation. I am definitely that guy who just like will stare at you while you tell a story for five minutes and then be like, Oh shit. Whoa. What was that about? What Start again. Saying? Yeah. I know. Or you had a thought, but then it goes away and then you're just spending your whole energy trying to remember what you just thought. Ugh. Yeah. yeah. It's been an experience to try and, sharpen my brain that's the other thing working in weed so many people in the cannabis industry are high functioning stoners and it's so impressive mm -hmm. and it's really changed that idea for me that you know i had that stigma growing up that i'm trying to work on breaking is that stoners are lazy people who smoke a lot of weed are low functioning and it's been fun to experiment with that myself like i actually realize that sometimes 
smoking weed actually makes me a much better worker depending on what I'm working on. But I used to be terrified. I was like, I cannot, I can, <laughs> I think I will fall asleep or I won't remember how to do anything. But now, yeah, like certain days it doesn't work, but other days it, it truly like, especially creative work. Like I, I find myself able to just kind of get in the groove in a totally new way with a new mindset. And it's, it's fun to play around with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've known lots of people who are uh, high everyday kind of smokers and I've always been kind of impressed and confused by their ability <laughs> to do that. But it sounds like the more people that you've known that have worked in the, in the industry. And especially like you said, in different fields, like creative types, it depends on the kind of work that you're doing. I wouldn't expect someone to be stoned if they're doing a lot of, I don't know, really like complex work that they need to be shifting gears really yeah. quickly and having a lot of conversations. I don't know that weed is necessarily yeah. amenable to that. I mean, maybe for some people it is. Yeah. But but I, I do know that there are people who, who do function really well. So ascribing my own experience, as I would say, like a non-functioning pothead to yeah. <laughs> who are able to do that, uh, it probably isn't very fair of me. Totally. Uh, well, let's talk about how, let's talk about Hoff Goods. Um, Let's talk about so, it. So that's your that's your other full time gig. That's your other big deal. I know that you don't want to be just necessarily that Nevada sticker girl. <laughs> but okay, so you've listened to another podcast recently. Huh? I did. I listened to your episode, and you were like, "Wait a second! Like, I don't always want to be the Nevada sticker girl." But that that's how like people that like my, my sister who doesn't smoke pot, who has no connection to pot culture definitely has a Nevada sticker from Haley Hoff on the back of her car. <laughs> so, and you've Thank done all, you you've done all different types of art. So you talked about you, you know, you're into photography and you do graphic design and you did dancing and now you have your brand Hoff Goods. So kind of what's the story of how did you decide to start a brand and, and what do you, what do you sell and what's kind of the goal and the, the vision of, of Hoff Goods? Yeah. So I was working as a graphic designer in Oakland and working for an agency. And I was just not really feeling filled up by agency life and like the work I was doing specifically there. And I started making just designs on the side for fun, just to try and build my portfolio, made some Nevada based designs and turned one of them into a sticker. And yeah, it started, I started selling it just cause I was like, why not? Let's try and sold a bunch of them and it just sparked a fire in my butt to see what else I could make and that didn't stop it was like okay I made this Nevada sticker and sold I don't know 40 50 of them in a couple days and that felt so overwhelming to me <laughs> and yeah then I just kept making little funny designs putting them on stickers and it was so energizing especially at a moment where I was really uninspired and I also was trying to get another job and I hope that none of my former agency people listen to this, but um, I mean, I do for you, but for me, I don't, <laughs> but I spent months looking for another job and I was really unhappy and I felt like I had the credentials and the experience and the design skills to get a good job. And the truth is just that in Oakland and San Francisco, the competition is really high and I didn't hear back from people from like anybody. And I was just hitting a really low point of like, what do I do? And that was right around the same time I made those stickers. And so it was just what I needed to just kind of get some confidence again, because two people buying a sticker to me was all I needed to just be like, oh, maybe I am good at this. And then I just quit my job. I, I didn't have another plan. I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do this and just freelance. And 
So I did that for a while and I did feel a little bit like, I don't know, freelancing was fine. It was good. And you just kind of become a servant to other people's ideas. You never really get to lean into what you want to do. And I think at the same time, I started to follow some people on Instagram that were kind of starting their own brands. I think now in 2021, it's a very, very common thing to have. I mean, we all probably follow a couple different influencers or brands and, you know, these kind of self-made DIY artists. But in 2016, 2017, I didn't really know very many people that were doing it. And I was also recent, I had become obsessed with Casey Neistat. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a YouTuber. Mm-mm. And so I like got really into YouTube and I was like watching all these people just kind of like become their own artists and like DIY culture. And I was like, okay, I want to figure out what I can do. That's like that. Like what's going to be my thing. That's just for me, just my artwork, no one else. Yeah. And so I started Hoff Goods and, um, I, at that time I'd already been selling the stickers for about a year and I had made probably like 20 different designs and they were just selling like crazy. It was so exciting. And I also was learning about business and I didn't want to just like be selling things under my own name. So having a brand name felt like the right move. And yeah, so then it just kind of built from stickers to some apparel. And, you know, at this point, it's a couple of years in, I'm trying to figure out what exactly do I want Hoff Goods to be. And some days that's more of a shop like I, I would love to own a retail shop that could also be like an experiential place like you come in for a vibe and you can hang out and you you know that's something I want but I also am very aware that a brick and mortar experience is not necessarily the smartest move these days <laughs> uh, and other days I'm like I want to just keep making items one off trying them out maybe lean a little bit more into the media side of things get more into video I have a lot of ideas and right now because I have another full-time job, it's just kind of playing with a little bit of each idea at a time, but I'm really excited because events are starting to happen again. And so I'll be selling stuff on the streets again, which will be good and meeting people. And that was a huge part of Hopgoods at the beginning was just like, I did like a one event a week the first couple of years and I was just constantly out And I think without that energy and without a place to actually show up and sell stuff, it does kind of feel like I'm like, well, what am I doing? Like, is anyone, I don't know. It's, it's been an interesting experiment. Mm -hmm. And just to say like, I'm not bitter about being the Nevada sticker girl. I still have a lot of pride about that. I truly do. When I see, when I see one of my stickers on someone's car, I feel so good. It's so exciting. And, but for me as an artist, I really want to branch out and I want to feel like I can make art that's just for me. It's not necessarily about Nevada. And I think the downfall of the Nevada art is that it attracts, I feel like I have kind of an audience that's very Nevada focused and a lot of people that only want to see Nevada stuff from me. And I think that's where the bitterness comes from is that like, I want to feel like I can make whatever I want and have people support me. And my fear with that is like, you know, if I start talking about pot, if I start talking about my relationship, I'm a queer person, like, is that stuff going to be accepted? And 
sometimes it has felt like, yes, it will. And other times it feels like, no, and I don't like the no, like I want to branch that out. And, you know, that's like not anyone's fault. It's just an interesting kind of corner I've gotten myself into and I'm trying to just branch out. Yeah, I think that's one of the dilemmas with creating a brand or a product that is based around you as a person, whether that's a podcast that you host or it's the art that you make that people associate your name and your personality with. And like I said, you're on, you know, you're on Instagram a lot and you do a lot mm. of video and, and people know you as a person Yeah. in addition to the art and the things that you do is that, I mean, I find it a little bit stressful even just <laughs> with a podcast being like, okay, well now I'm putting like yeah. my name and my views and like who I am out there yeah. in a way that I'm also trying to sell and promote. And there's this conflict of, okay, like how real can I be? Am I at risk of creating too small of an audience? Like you said, if you are boxing yourself into just one particular idea, you know, are you limiting yourself for the sake of an audience? So that's, um, it's a, it seems like a real kind of challenge and stress. Have you found that to be the case? Yes. Oh my God. I feel like right now I'm in a much better place about it. Having, having taken a bit of a step back from Hoff Goods and, having other income, I have been able to relax about that a lot. And I'm now using my Instagram and my platform with my brand a lot more freely because I don't feel like everything is reliant on it. But, oh my gosh, I went into, I I got into a pretty dark place before I got the job at Blackbird because I was feeling so, I was so in my head about everything. Like I, I wanted to put money into certain designs that I felt so excited about. They were pushing the creativity that I wanted to in the direction I wanted to be going. And I made one or two items in that style and they didn't sell at all. And I took that so personally. And then, you know, I just, I felt like I was in this place where I was really desperate for money because I wasn't, I'm not a, I'm not a business savvy person. I was really struggling to learn how to maximize profit off of sticker sales. (laughs) And anytime I made something that even if it was just on Instagram and it didn't get good feedback, it really would crush me. And that's where I could tell like, okay, I'm in a bad place with this. Like I'm really looking for validation from Instagram likes and that was not good. And I, I've really tried to step away from that. And I know that that is going to kind of haunt me as long as I'm it's associated with, you know, if it's my artwork that's on my brand and it's my name and all these things, like it's, I've, done that for myself but the flip side of that is the pride that I get and now of being able to be the face and like I want people now to know so okay let me back up when I started Hoff Goods the reason I changed it from just Haley Hoff Design was because I wanted to remove myself from the brand a little bit I wanted it to just exist as its own thing I didn't want it to be so associated with me so the first year of Hoff Goods, it was very much just, you'd go to the Instagram and it was like my artwork. There wasn't much of me on there. And now I've kind of flipped that. Like I now am allowing me to be back in it, be very present. I sometimes just post videos of me dancing. I like do silly things that are very me centric because that's what feels good right now. But I, I've, I'm aware that that's flip-flopped and like it will probably flip-flop again. And I struggle constantly with where is the line of how much do I share there? How much do I not? Sometimes it feels amazing and other times it feels horrifying. And it's like, I, 
I just have kind of accepted at this point that I'm going to f- struggle with that probably until <laughs> I stop doing hop goats. <laughs> like it's just going to be a constant test of vulnerability and ego. I know I have some like narcissistic tendencies too of like when I'm feeling low in my life, like I turn to Instagram to like look for validation. That's something I'm really working on. Um, you know, and it's hard when I've built my whole business around that. It's like, it can eat me up, but um yeah, really working on that, both in therapy and in just on my own to just have better boundaries with it in general. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel I think that um, for especially creative type or makers or people who are putting something out there for the world to accept or reject, there is this sense of validation that that we crave, that we need this societal mm-hmm. acceptance. I mean, all these things are so deeply rooted in the way our societies work and mm-hmm. the way social media kind of makes it measurable. The idea that you can look at a screen and determine, okay, how much do people like me today? And what do I need to do to make people, you know, smash that like button more? (laughs) (laughs) Like that is there, the pressure that comes with that. And the, I think kind of the psychological effect of, do I feel loved and accepted today? Or do I feel rejected? And Mm -hmm. like, I'm wasting my time on something is something that affects all types of people. But I think especially those who are putting a, a, a product out there or putting some part yeah. of themselves out there for consumption or for approval or whatever it is. And I, I struggle with that. I listened to another podcast you were on. You said you took a little break from social media. Is that something that you have done before? Like, what have you, what have you done to, to work on that relationship? You said you're working on it. Like what, what strategies <laughs> have you taken? <laughs> oh gosh. Well, yeah. So I took a break from December to February And, you know, two months is not a massive break, but it was pretty massive for me in the sense that I'd never done one before. And unfortunately, I still had to run the Blackbird. You know, that's my job. I had to continue running their social media, but I had much better boundaries. It was just truly for work. And I didn't look at any of my personal stuff or Hoff Goods for for two and a half months. And I wish I could say that it was super cleansing partially it was like it did feel really good for me at least for Hoff Goods because with Hoff Goods I get very um frantic if I don't post I feel this urgency of like oh my god I need to create something I need to design something real quick that I can post otherwise like people are going to forget about me and that's that's the thing I'm trying to stop is like I don't need to feel like a machine that has to push out stuff every day. Like that doesn't need to be my go-to. In that two month break, I came back to Instagram with this like powerhouse creative energy. And now I am like truly just excited to make stuff and push it out. And it's not even for the pushing it out that I'm excited. It's like, I'm spending all of my weekends now just working on stuff. And then I share some of it if I want to. It's a very different mindset than I was in in December. And I think that's where I'm constantly looking to is like, am I making this right now just so that I can post it and get likes and get whatever, keep my algorithm position up? Or am I making this art because it's something I actually feel called to make right now? And that is a balance that sometimes I think we'll have to get skewed because I also do need to make money off of this stuff. And that's hard. It's like, you know, this last month I had a really stupid thing I did. I messed something up financially and I had this massive bill that came out of nowhere and I, it literally drained every dollar of my savings and I panicked and I was like, Oh my God, like 
thank goodness I have this business because now I can like use some of these things I've been designing for the last two months, put them on t-shirts and see if they work. And thank goodness they did. And it's been exciting because it's already stuff that I created because I liked it, but I was able to quickly put it on a shirt and sell it. And that helps me stay in this house. And, you know, that is hard sometimes because there's been moments where I have financial situations where I'm like, Oh God, I need to make something real quick that I know people will want to buy so that I can pay my rent. And I don't like that feeling. I'm trying to get away from that. I'm trying to be smarter at business so I don't have to be so reliant in that way, but like it's the beauty and the curse of it. So yeah, the, the, the Instagram break or the social media break at large was really good for me. I want to do more of them. I just, I have to figure out how to do it and stay relevant and make money and stay sane. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's the challenge that I'm running into as well. I, I took a break from social media shortly at the, uh, after the inauguration at the beginning of the year, I was like, okay, cool. We got through everything that's going on. I've Mm -hmm. been stressed out of my mind for the last three months, just waiting for like things to finally be done. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, okay, well now I'm getting the hell out of here for a little while because I'm running my mind Mm -hmm. ragged. And in the month or so that I wasn't on any social media, I was taking a lot of walks and thinking more and actually getting back inside my head instead of having my head all in the computer. And that's where I thought, oh, well, maybe I should do this podcast. And like these creative ideas come from when you step away from the social media stuff, I find. And -hmm. now the challenge is, again, I'm, you know, doing an internet product. So obviously I need to be on the internet and trying to find the healthy ways of using technology. I talk a lot of crap about social media because I do think it's very problematic in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. but it is a tool for connecting with people that if you use it well, and if you use it in a way that is healthy for you, I think it can be really beneficial. And I think more people should, and myself included, should take a step back and like, you know, get out a notebook and write down like, what do I want to get out of this social media tool? How do I want to use it? to meet the needs either of myself personally or my business or my product without it taking over my life and without falling victim to all the addictive tendencies of it or like the the validation seeking stuff. So it's a challenge that I always struggle with. So I'm always curious to talk to people who have yeah. you know complex relationships with social media for sure. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't spend any time on my personal account. And it's something I've also considered a lot of getting rid of my personal account and just making it so that I only have one Would that reduce my time on there. Would that reduce my relationship anxiety with it? Like, and I don't know. And I, I still have the personal account because I do think it's probably good to have some sort of boundary of like what is personal and what is work, but I don't find myself ever really thinking about my personal Instagram and that's fine. Like I think I'm healthy in that regard, but I find myself neurotically thinking about, the Hofgoods account. Like I go to bed thinking about it. I wake up thinking about it. And it's, it's scary in that regard. But it's hard for me to disassociate what is the part of it that's the Instagram part that I'm thinking about? And what is the creativity? Most of it is like, I get my best ideas for like, whether it's a shirt design, sticker design, just a design in general, as I'm falling asleep. But the framework for which I understand art now is fucking Instagram. (laughs) And so now I'm like, this will look so, oh God, it's so bad. It's like, I don't even want to talk about it. It's kind of embarrassing, but I think that it's, that's also the area where I'm really trying to drill out is like disconnecting my art from Instagram. And unfortunately the entire time I've been a digital creator, it's been on Instagram. My platform has always been there. Like I wasn't making art 
really before that wasn't on the internet somewhere. And so I, I'm very jealous of the people that know what it's like to be an artist without this kind of constant fast track feedback. And I'm also very grateful for it. It's a weird, I don't know. I've been talking about it a lot lately. I've been thinking about it a lot lately. There's so many pros and cons and I'm still in a place where I'm also bitter. And I also watched the social network or whatever it was, social dilemma. And that scared the shit out of me. And, you know, I've been very hesitant to make my Instagram of my business a marketplace because I don't like the way that that happened. I don't like that way of thinking, but also I've talked to other small business owners and they tell me the incredible benefits that it's how that's helped their business and how they've made a lot more money. And I'm constantly teetering on this line of like, God, like where do I draw the line on these things? And yeah, I could probably talk about it for hours. So we'll, I'll cut it off there, but yeah, it's, it's, it's impossible. I, I feel like at some point I need to do just an entire social media episode with someone who is an expert on social media stuff. Because I think it's just such an interesting topic that we don't really, I mean, everyone talks a little bit about social media. It's not uncommon for people to be like, oh, I hate social media, blah, blah, blah. But I think we can have much more in-depth, substantive conversations about like, how can we use it for good? What are the good parts about it? What are the challenges? Like, how do we actually come up with some solutions for better communications, whether they include social media or not? So I'm hopeful that at some point I'll have a full-on conversation about that. What else? What did I miss? What else? Anything else that we want to cover or talk about? Oh, gosh. I mean, we've covered my jobs. I don't know. That's basically all I do. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so I, I've asked several guests this for this is a brand new podcast. So, like I said, I'm always looking for feedback. Um, what kind of guests do you think? I guess a better place to start is by telling you a little bit about my kind of idea of what this podcast is, is Mm -hmm. I want it to be generally accessible. I don't want it to be strictly political or strictly business owners or strictly arts and culture. I like the idea that anyone who lives in Reno could be like, oh, this is a podcast about all different kinds of people in Reno. So Mm -hmm. what kind of topics or things do you think would make good episodes? What should I include that maybe I haven't thought of yet? I've had some criminal Mm -hmm. justice stuff, some election stuff, some uh, homelessness issues. We just did a weed episode now. So what else, uh, what should I throw on my list? Do you think? Um, What fascinates me about Reno is the combination of, Oh God, like new age, contemporary, young artists, like the Holland Project zone, like the communities that exist there and like what the young people are doing there. And then how those completely come to head with some of the like old Reno, like, I don't want to say crusty, but like, we have a really interesting vibe in this city where we do have momentum and we do have modern thinkers and creators but we are behind we are still held back by I don't know I feel like some old ways of doing things and maybe having conversations about that with big players in those two realms the city podcast did you listen to that I did yeah I thought it was really really good and it's uh yeah it was an interesting examination of kind of like the political decision making that goes into shaping how our how our city looks and feels and works that brought up a lot of stuff for me because that's something I feel like I feel in this city that kind of I think in this city we should be celebrating the fact that we have this like weird 
background. Like we have a very unique, weird history in this city. And it seems like a lot of people that work for like the Reno Tahoe Midtown District, like people want to get rid of that. Like, and you know, you can have that conversation very easily as soon as you look at motels in this town and how people feel about either getting rid of them and bulldozing them or trying to save them. And I think that's a really pivotal, interesting conversation that's happening right now and will continue happening in the city. And I, you know, my parents worked in the casinos here. And so I grew up in the casinos and most of my parents' peers are like casino workers of some type and they're incredible people and they have weird, unique personalities and like they have so many rich stories. And my dad has become a part of this like group of people that are trying to save the history of the casinos as a lot of them are getting wiped out. Harris, for example, my mom was the poster woman for Harris for years. And like, it's interesting, the conversations that I hear around my dinner table around wanting to save that history and save that culture, but also then the competing argument of let's wipe it all out and change the reputation of Reno. It's two competing ideas of what this city is. And I think that I don't know if I feel one particularly way about it. I feel a lot of things, but I don't, I'll tell you this. I don't like how the like Reno Tahoe committee people are like ready to wipe out the history. Like, I think there's grit to this town and I think that's what makes it interesting. And I would love to hear more conversations about the grit and why it should stay. That was a really long-winded answer to try and give you a topic, but I think that's something that's really interesting and unique that's happening right now. Yeah, no, I think that's a great idea because I have the same kind of concerns as I want Reno to grow. There are a lot of people who I think have this idea of they're scared of growth. They're scared of change. I want things to be like it always was. I miss how it was when I was a kid, whatever. Mm -hmm. these kind of nostalgic ideas of how the city was and should stay. On the flip side, Reno is growing whether we like it or not. People are coming to Reno and it is growing and changing. People are moving here. We need to build more Mm -hmm. so that people have places to live, that housing prices are out of control and that doesn't get fixed unless you build. So there's these kind of logistical challenges of a growing city. But I totally agree with you that I don't want to lose what makes Reno interesting. If Reno wipes out all of the the history of the you know the the casinos and kind of being a little edgier or whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it and becomes just a i would say a boring mid-sized city yes exactly that would really we don't want, suck. To, be a, we don't want to be a panera city no like no. how do we grow and keep it gritty how do we reinvest into downtown keep the structures and put new interesting things in there that are still it fits the vibe. Like how do we, there's gotta be a way, like, I feel like how do we not gentrify, but also like invest and grow and, you know, seeing like strip malls being built and these like big cookie cutter apartment buildings. I'm like, Oh, like that's not it. That's not it in my opinion. However, I know that we need to grow. I know that a lot of people are moving here. I'm curious to know, are there anybody, are there people in this town that are, high up working on these projects that have good ideas or how can we get people on the Reno community board? Like, I don't know. Like I look at other towns. I look at Oakland when I lived there and watched how certain areas there were expanding and what kind of architecture was being built. And it felt more thoughtful. It felt like it made sense in some areas. Of course, gentrifying was like wildly problematic there as well, but like 
I would be really devastated to see the Wells Avenue get completely wiped out and replaced with like cookie cutter coffee shops. However, like how do we how do we invest in our communities, make it interesting and grow? That's the conversation I want to know about. And I'm I don't know besides that one city podcast, I haven't heard people talking about I haven't been privy to those conversations. And so I would love to hear more about that topic. Period. Excellent. Yeah, I, I will have to talk to some folks. I know I have a couple of people on my potential guest list that are in the kind of like urban planning yeah. realm who I think have a lot of background on on what Reno is and is becoming and, and how it all works. So whenever I have those people on the podcast, I definitely plan to delve into the how do we maintain the character of Reno and yeah. make it an exciting and fun and interesting city. Mm-hmm. while it continues to grow because the growth is happening whether we like it or not so the question is can we right. preserve something interesting and fun and exciting about reno yeah. or are we going to lose too much in the process so yeah. those are good questions that i'm definitely gonna have to carry forward to whoever whoever's making those decisions that's the challenging part too is you know right. in in government and in cities this size you know there's not one person who's getting to make all the calls on on how we grow and mm-hmm. it's easy to feel disempowered like your voice doesn't matter that much when there's you know, we're yeah. a pretty big city. And for one person to say, hey, I don't like that building doesn't necessarily, you know, sway anything. But there's a lot of people that are actively working on these kind of things. I know I live in the uh, the Pounding Historical District where they're next to the hub. There's this building mm-hmm. that's about to go up. And there's a lot of controversy about this building because it doesn't meet the guidelines for the historic neighborhood. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see what happens there. So hopefully I can have some conversations around yeah, those cool. specific issues too. Right. And that's a beautiful neighborhood. I'm not far away from you. I'm just up Washington. Oh, gotcha. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting seeing these new places go up. And I just want to know, you know, just to tangent one more time. Um, I constantly am wondering if I should open a brick and mortar here. Should I invest myself and my business into this city or should I leave? And I am always leaning more towards leaving, even though sometimes I've always got this, you know, devil angel on my shoulder saying like, this could be a cool opportunity for you to be that person that brings, not that person, be a part of the community that's reinvesting in this city. I like to fantasize about having one of those old souvenir shops locations down in downtown and like making it a cool retail brick and mortar experience for something like what I want to do. But I don't know if this city, I don't know if that would even be possible because like, it seems like they're trying to wipe out downtown. It seems like downtown is dead, honestly, like no one locally really goes there. Like, would that even be worth it for me? I just probably waste away, you know, and I, I just feel like the culture doesn't match. I don't know. I think we need to invest in our small businesses and like have resources that I don't think our city has right now. And or maybe they have and they're just not sharing very publicly. <laughs> I don't know, but I look at like these other towns and I'm like, man, there's so many small businesses like me that have shops that are able to survive in these very big neighborhoods. And I'm like, how are they doing it? Where I feel like in Reno, it's impossible to break into that. Like I, I wouldn't afford it here. I can't afford it here. And that seems crazy. Like I'm constantly thinking about that stuff. Should I stay or should I go? And I know a lot of friends who have started small businesses who have left and it would be cool for Reno to become a place where people want to stay and invest in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's the real risk. If all the people like yourself and all the creative types and all the people who like what Reno has in terms of its personality, if they all get priced out and leave for more 
creative and better opportunities mm. for their their art and their work and they're replaced by you know like rich folks from the san francisco bay area who are just here for a cheaper house in the suburbs yeah that is not going to improve reno's culture in my opinion you know i don't I think i don't think that's going to be the right path forward so however it happens i hope that we can find a way to to retain the character of the city as it as it grows yeah. And I hope yeah. you stay because you're a valuable addition to our city. But if you don't, I hope you, you. Uh, I hope you do well wherever you got up. I appreciate that. We'll see. It's it's the question of the the year. I think that I I'm pretty far in on the bag of leaving right now, but I might not. We'll see. We will see. That's just like my feeling. There's no plans. I just. Uh, changes every week so i mean i think i think that's a good attitude just like we'll we'll figure it out as we go it's you don't need to plan everything yeah know how things are going to go i think that just kind of follow your your inspiration or your leading day to day usually doesn't lead you wrong yeah totally and at, at the end of the day i love this town i love this city my heart is here i yeah, I'm proud to be from this place. So I want to see it succeed. I want to be a part of the success, whether I'm in this town in the moment or not. Like, that's just how I feel. So long live Reno. Let's hope that the crusty, weird culture stays and the new blood comes in and it just gets better. <laughs> yeah. Amen. <laughs> so where can where can people find you? Pitch all your stuff. There's there's Blackbird. There's a there's a podcast. There's Hoff Goods. Give give us a list of of all the places that we can we can track. Oh down. God, I'm all over the internet. Um, for me, HoffGoods.co is my website where you can buy stuff, and Hoff Goods everywhere else on the internet. Blackbirds, you can no longer find us on Instagram. R.I.P. Um, we are BlackbirdGo.com. That's where you can buy weed right now and get it delivered. And yeah, my personal account. It's Harry Hoff, if you want to find me there too. Yeah, I'm easy to find, honestly. Type in Haley Hoff and you'll find me. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to come on the podcast. And we got to do a weed episode, which was nerve wracking and scary. And my mom's <laughs> probably going to hate, but got to do what we yeah. got to do, right? I hope that your mom doesn't hate. I hope that no one hates. I understand it's tricky, but um, everyone out there listening, give weed a chance. Even if you don't want to smoke it yourself, that's fine. But Give it a chance. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been really fun. Awesome. Thank you so much, Haley. Listeners, thank you again for tuning in to this week's episode of Renoites. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you again to Haley for being my guest this week. Please be sure to check out her podcast as well. It is called We'd Like to Talk. It is available on all the major platforms, and I will put a link in the show notes. Please be sure to tune in next week. Again, if you have any suggestions on guests or feedback for me, shoot me an email, Connor, C-O-N-O-R, at renoites.com, and we will see you next time. <laughs>